and welcome back. And again, if you're visiting online, we are glad you can join us that way. Uh, We're continuing on with our series, and right now we're looking at the idea of resetting. It's never too late late, uh, for a fresh start. And right now, as we're wrapping things up over the next couple weeks, we're looking at things that if we engage in, help keep our soul soft towards God and help keep us in an attitude of reset. And it doesn't matter uh, who you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter if you're a convinced follower of Christ or somebody who's just testing the waters or someone in between, uh, all of us from time to time do need a inner life, a heart, a soul, whatever you want to call it, reset. And so we're seeing how that can happen and how Christ uh, does that for us. And uh, when we're not having a reset, when we're not involved in these engagements, we find a hunger and a thirst that really nothing else in life can really satisfy. Uh, We find ourselves like these folks. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. It never is! Snickers satisfies. And the idea is that you're not you when you are hungry. And so whatever's going on in your life, when you are spiritually hungry, when you're not satisfied, it shows up in different ways. It shows up in frustration. It shows up in anger. It shows up in pulling back. It shows up in all these things. So on the, in a sense, dashboard of our life, we can see it when we are not spiritually satisfied. It shows up in different ways, and we can try to, in a sense, fill that hunger, fill that thirst with other things, but it just doesn't last. It just doesn't take care of it. And Christ says this. He says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me, and you'll never be hungry. Believe in me, and you'll never be thirsty. And the idea is that when you and I have a regular rhythm of having God a part of our life, when we come to him daily, and these engagements we've been talking about help us to not be thirsty, to be satisfied. And without that, we find ourselves living a life of hunger, a lack of satisfaction, and often we bounce from thing to thing, and we find ourselves very deficient. It's almost like having a a vitamin C deficiency. Now, as we uh, continue on talking about this, there is one area of life or one engagement of life we're going to talk about this morning, that is this idea of repentance. 
And for most of us, that's kind of a strange word or that's a, that's a, that's a harsh word. But it's this idea that repentance needs to be a part of our lives as Christ followers. When we say yes to Christ, that is that first initial repentance. But then there is in the continuation of this, we live a life of repentance. We're continually to be evaluating our lives in light of what God is saying to us. And we see that there are areas uh, that we, in a sense, need to repent on. And sometimes some of us who have been Christ followers for a while just don't see that. Um, We can't go back even six months and say, wow, here is an area, here is a thing in my life that I actually had to repent of. I had to change my thinking about it. I had to align my thinking to God's thinking. And I had to start some new behaviors, some new actions because I repented of it. Yet we are called as Christ followers to, yes, repent initially, but continue on with that. Um, even recently from my own life, and it wasn't something dramatic, dramatic, but there was something that uh, I became aware of, and uh, I was a little embarrassed about it. There was some shame about it, and now you guys are going, I wonder what it was, I wonder what it is, but I'm not going to tell you what it was. But anyway, it was something in my life, and I realized I needed to repent of it. I needed to change my thinking about it. And then I needed to change my actual behavior. And that is something that should be a normal routine. And at first we think that's a downer, that's a a guilt thing. But the reality is that when you and I have a lifestyle of repentance, another word for it is change. And we all ought to be changing and growing. So there ought to be times, because none of us have arrived that we have some marks of growth and change, no matter who we are. Now, we're going to go back and look at some situations in the Older Testament, the Old Testament of the Bible. It's older than the New Testament. And if we were to take a time and look at all these kings, and we're going to look at one king in specific, if we were to look at these kings, we would see these kings that uh, had these opportunities to repent. We would see these kings, and some of them didn't finish well. Because this wasn't a regular part of their life. They, they, they get these, this information, this knowledge. They find out their lifestyle, whatever they're doing, is out of alignment with what God's best would be for them. And instead of responding to it, uh, they draw a line in the sand. Now, some do respond and change. But, but what a sad situation to live all these years and then in the final years to get to this place where you refuse to take another step of change, where you refuse to repent of something. And you might say, well, you know, I don't need... Well, again, I come back to the fact that all of us haven't arrived, and so we need to change, we need to grow... And when you take that in light of what God is speaking into your life, the word for that is repentance. Now, Asa was such a king. Asa was such a king. And Asa was a king. I think his his reign was uh, 41 years. 41 years. And there are passages that say that he had a heart after God. Just, Just wow. Asa, Asa was, uh, I'm going to say it differently every time, so bear with me, <laughs> was, just, was just phenomenal. 
Um, he had some battles, and he won them. God came alongside. But then towards the end of his reign, a few years later, it's thought about maybe the like fifth or sixth year left of his reign. He reigns for 41 years. All of a sudden, he does something, and uh, God is not happy with it, and it's revealed to him, and, and this is his response. For the eyes of the Lord range range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. What could he have done? What could he have done? What he had done is instead of leaning into God to take care of his needs, he made an alliance with the northern kingdom, and he wasn't supposed to do that, And he made an alliance with the northern kingdom. Rather than looking to God who had delivered the kingdom in the past, he had, had, in a sense, he had done it on his own. He hadn't consulted with God. He was resting in his political abilities rather than resting in God. And it's interesting to hear what his response was. This is his response. Azo was angry with the seer, the person that revealed this. Because of this, he was so enraged that he put him in prison. And at the same time, Azo brutally oppressed some of the people. We read on, Azo was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. What? Here's a guy, his reign is 41 years. It's phenomenal for 80% of it. Then there's this one time where he steps out of line, which is, which is natural. None of us are perfect. None of us are arrived. And instead of taking what is said to him, he says, I don't want to hear it. He actually takes the messenger of God, throws him into prison, and starts treating everybody else horribly. See, he he wouldn't repent, even to the point he has this illness in his feet, and it's very painful, eventually takes his life, and he refuses to go back to God. He just uses the physicians. See, there's a guy that started out fantastic. This isn't a young person that goes off the rail. This is a seasoned God follower who in his last years rejects and says, you know, I've arrived, I've, I've had all these successes, I'm, I'm a self-made, God-made, whatever, and, and, that, and he won't go back and repent. And that is a danger for all of us. Again, I come back to that statement. When was the last time It was God revealed, not someone being overcritical, not someone picking on you, not someone being unkind, but but you could actually say, yes, that's something God wants in my life. When was the last time you changed the course of your life, even just a little bit? Asa wouldn't do it. And if you and I want a soul reset, if we want to be able to lean in that, if we want a fresh start, if we want a soft soul, if we want to be able to grow in our relationship with God, repentance has to be a part of our regular life. Proverbs, uh, Solomon writes, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, 
but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That is a great, great principle. That when you and I get to the place and we see sin, God's not best, uh, self-centered, whatever you want to call it, uh, what God doesn't want in our lives, we have to grow in our knowledge of who God is and then I flush it out in the way we live. When, when, when we conceal them and hide them, we don't prosper. And I think it's much larger than just external prosperity. There's something in our heart and our soul, and we see it with this king. The king is so irritated about this, he starts taking it out on everybody else. He's like Marsha in the beginning clip. Marsha's just hungry, hangry, and she's taking it out on everyone around her. And you and I, no matter how long we've walked with God, how short it is, when you and I hold it inside, and what's interesting is the older we get, I think, because I'm in this boat, is it's the things, a lot of the things are the things of the heart. So people around me don't even see these things. And I stuff these things. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a selfishness. Maybe it's an entitledness. Maybe it's a feeling that I've arrived or whatever it is. And I stuff it. Not many people see it around me, but I don't prosper. It starts to tear me up inside. And if you're a Christ follower and you have a restness of the soul, one way to look at it or one place to look is to ask you what's going on in your heart. But what's so wonderful is the one who confesses and renounces, they find mercy. They don't find, I told you so. They don't find you getting slapped down. They find mercy. I love this. There are no examples in Scripture of a person who turned to God in repentance and was refused forgiveness. If you can find someone, send me an email. Tell me about that. I, there is not one person, one person that turns and repents of the heart that does not find forgiveness. That doesn't mean the consequences of their actions disappear, but it means they receive forgiveness. And most of the time, their consequences of their actions somehow are lessened. The impact of them is softened. There is grace. So when you and I have an opportunity, I think it's an opportunity to repent, and we stuff it down because we don't think we need to. We think we're pretty good on our own. We're going to find that inside it just gets hard and gets difficult. I love what Joel wrote, one of the minor prophets. He writes this, Now come back to me with all your heart. Cry and mourn, and don't eat anything. Show that you are sad for doing wrong. Now, this is an example. This isn't saying, wow, if you're going to repent, you automatically have to stop eating. But there needs to be some kind of expression of it. Joel is saying, for you folks, you want to show on the outside. You want it to show up in your life that you actually are sad, disappointed for what you've done. Show that you're sad. But it, is, it goes on. He writes, tear your hearts, not your clothes. Again, internal. It's interesting. you got the no eating on the outside, but it really, again, comes back to the heart. 
Sometimes you and I can act sad, but we're really sad for getting caught. We're really sad for the consequences, but we're not sad, not broken up, that we've actually, in a sense, had an affront to God. And that should be where this all initiates or originates from in our hearts and that we're that we we don't like displeasing God not because he's going to slam us down but because he loves us and because he's done so much for us we naturally just want to please him he's kind and merciful he does not become angry quickly he has great love Again, if you go back to the Old Testament and walk through story after story after story, you're going to see people that start out good and just disaster. And yet God, when the people really turn back to God, he welcomes them. He's compassionate to them. It's an amazing thing. It's also amazing how, you know, I think I mentioned this last week, how generation after generation, it doesn't seem like you can go two or three generations in the scriptures where some, this family, and then this family, this family. It seems like this family gets it, this person gets it, and then the next generation, they, they, they didn't own it or something happened. But God is merciful to us. Now, why do we do that? Why do we, in a sense, say no to repentance? Why do we say no to change? It really has this kind of idea of edging God out. It's really based in pride. We don't like it. I told you about a few weeks ago in the last month, the first thing I felt was shame. The next thing I felt was, well, it's not that bad. Well, what about this? What, I started thinking about distractions. I wanted to push back. I wanted to say, well, uh, this is an issue maybe in my life, but in your life, look at this issue. I wanted to play all these games because I didn't want to own it. Who am I? I've still got lots of changing and growing to do. I've got lots of repenting to do, changing. And actually, it's a wonderful thing. This week, uh, or last week, Mariah had some problems with her car, and uh, the engine light went on, and so what did we do? We got the, we got the car to the shop. It's going to be expensive, but they said it would be even more expensive if we ignored the light. Repentance is a light on our dashboard, and the question is whether we respond to it or not. Do we take it into account In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Why don't we repent? Why don't we agree with God? Because of pride. So what do we do? How do we, how do we, what what, what happens? Why do we feel that way? Well, one of the things that happens is we become comfortable and smug comfortable and smug. We, we look at our life and, and we feel life is okay and we're, we're comfortable and the things we're doing aren't that bad. And, uh, you know, it's not, you know, again, again, we have distractions and we're just, we're just comfortable with the way life is unfolding. And so we say, you know, there's really not a need for that. I halfway joked, but sometimes, you know, when it comes to eating right, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable and, and smug. I can still fit into my larger size pants, so I guess I'm okay. So I'm comfortable, smug about it, and I don't need to really do anything. I'm bothered for a second, but I don't need a life change. And that's just a minor thing, but when you get into some of these spiritual things, we're just, it's, life's going pretty good. 
Now, God doesn't work this way, but sometimes, in a sense, we invite God to upend the apple cart. And again, it's not to punish us, but it's he knows that we're, we're living second, third best. And he has a better way for us. So he wants us to see that. We read in Revelation, And behold, I stand at the door of the church, of Christ followers, and continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with you, restore you, and you with me. Now, you sometimes hear this verse when someone's trying to ask you to say yes to Christ, that Christ's outside of your life and knocking at the door, and that's a fine application of this. But the actual intention of what Jesus is saying here, what he's saying here is he's saying, these are Christ followers. These are people that have already said yes to me. And it's a weird thing to think, but here's someone that Christ has said yes to Christ, and yet when it comes to our lives, he's on the outside. He's standing at the door knocking and going, hey, did you forget about me? I have some things for you. And what's interesting, if you see the pictures of this being depicted on stained glass, you'll notice that there is no outside doorknob because God, Jesus, doesn't force himself on anyone. You have to open it from the inside. He's not going to push himself on us. But we're comfortable and snug. We don't even hear the knocking or we hear it once and we just kind of turn up the volume of life because life is pretty good. That can cause us to edge God out. That can cause us to, uh, to stay away from um, repenting, changing. Another area is this self-satisfied indifference. We just, we just really don't care. Again, these overlap each other. We're, you know, we're self-satisfied. Things are going pretty good. Things aren't that bad. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't creating too much pain. We're not that uncomfortable. So we just continue to keep going down that road. Um, when Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar were having some issues and Nebuchadnezzar was becoming really proud of all that had happened in the kingdom. Uh, so the Daniel speaks to him and says, So king, take my advice, make a clean break with your sins and start living for others. Quit your wicked life and look after the needs of the down and out. Then you will continue to have a good life. But Nebuchadnezzar was so full of being a, a leader, an emperor of a nation, that, uh, and things were so good, and victories were so good, and he had just affluence and could just, just, just live the way he wanted to, that if you know the rest of the story, he just ignores this. He doesn't come back, and eventually his pride causes a big crash in his life. Um, also, there's the idea of borrowed time. We have a God that's gracious. We have a God that doesn't push himself, so he gives us room. He gives us room to kind of do our own thing. He gives us a, a long leash, if you will, and we live on borrowed time, and sometimes we think that the borrowed time we're living on is that he doesn't really care about it, that it's not a big deal with him either. And again, you can look around, you go, oh, I know this person, this person, this person. They're doing much worse than me, so, you know, I don't really have to. When they have their trouble, then I'll take a look at my life. But it's actually a sign of a heavenly father that loves us when he gets after us, when he disciplines us. But sometimes you and I think we're, we're, living, on borrow, we're living on borrowed time and we don't even know how close we're getting to the edge, getting to the consequences 
of our actions. Second Peter, we read, The Lord is not slow, but He's patient and merciful to you, not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following His own path and to turn toward God. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Isn't that fantastic? He's giving you space and time to change. But a lot of us, especially those of us who have been following Christ for a little while, a little longer while, think that space and time is just to kind of keep doing what we're doing. By no means is God's patience designed to lead us to God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, not to become bolder in our sin, in our disobedience. But sometimes, many times, uh, we, we feel that he's not getting after us, that it's not a big deal. We know it is, but we just, uh, we're not having major consequences. We're like, yeah, that's true. But, and we just kind of get bolder in our sin. We just kind of go with it again. I've, I've shared this before. It's like, you know, when you're driving too fast, and all of a sudden there's this speed trap, and you go zipping by it, and you're like, your heart's beating, and you know, you're like, you know, and you get by them, and you look in your mirror. They're coming after me, they're coming after me, coming after me. How long will it take them to get after me? Because they can go pretty fast, and finally it looks like they're not coming after you. Ten minutes go by, 20 minutes go by. If you're on a long trip, all of a sudden, you're right back up to speeding again, and now you're going faster. You see, the fact you got let off the hook actually made you bolder in it rather than backdrifting. Those of you who are in school, you're coming up to a test, you're coming up to a test, you're blowing off your study, and you're blowing off your study, and you're blowing it off, and then the test comes, and you take the test, and they take the test, and surprise, you get a passing grade. Surprise, you get a C plus. Maybe you were really fortunate, and you get a B minus. And, you know, leading up to it, you're praying, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. You know, when you're in a class, you're going, Lord, I'm going to again. And then all of a sudden, you make it, and then there's another test a month later. And since you got away with it the last time, it's not like you go, whoa, I better catch. I was fortunate. You do the same thing. You do it again, and you do it again. And at least in my life, a lot of times, it's not until I have to pay the price of what I did that actually the pain causes me to go, wait a minute, I do need to repent of this. I need a change. And shame on me. I'm sure it's not shame on me. So it's more the pain that causes me to chain. It's the pain that causes me to repent. It's not just wanting to please my heavenly Father who has done so much for me. But I know that's not you, that's me. So anyway, we read on. Paul writing to the Corinthians, I'm happy not because you were made sad, but because your distress made you change your lives. You could became sad in the way God wanted you to. The kind of sorrow, distress God wants makes people change their hearts and their lives. This leads to salvation, leads to saying yes to him. The way of salvation, not just the moment of salvation, not when you say yes to him for that first time, but the way of salvation, the way of following Christ is a way of responding to that sorrow and distress. And you cannot be sorry for that. But those who let But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. I wonder what Asa would have said as he was in his last moments of life. Would he have said, wow, I 
blew it. I, I did not let the distress, the sorrow, change my actions. And I believe, and again, we would teach that it's uh, when you've said yes to God, said yes to Christ, it's not your actions that make you acceptable to him. It's what Christ has done for us. So even while we may have said yes to him, and then we do some dumb things, some self-centered things, we reject him. Uh, I don't think as a, it was like boxed out of going to be with God. I think when he arrived there, it just really settled in the regret of the way he spent the last few years of his life. Sometimes when you hear that verse in Revelation that talks about Jesus will wipe every tear away and we real quickly think about the pain in our life and the hurt, that he's going to say, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I also think some of those tears are going to be tears of regret. Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I change? Why didn't I repent? We'll all have some of that, but I would like to have the least amount of that as possible, letting there be a change rather than holding on to it till the end. The bottom line is this, and we're going to then have some applications. Repentance will get you out of what ego keeps getting you into. Repentance will get you out of what ego keeps getting you into. Repentance. Do not to live out of your pride. Now, there's, there's something good about a healthy pride and a satisfaction in a job well done. We're not talking about that. We're talking about self-centered pride that I am, or I've arrived and I am okay. When you and I have a lifestyle of repentance, it, it gets us out of what ego got us into and keeps getting us into. When we think about this, we have to realize you will never outgrow confession and repentance. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've walked with God, there's always going to be opportunities for confession and repentance. There's this something else. There's another thing. And again, that's not because God's picking on us. He wants our lives so aligned with him. And then we enjoy him in a fuller, larger way. Again, we could see some of the Old Testament uh, uh, individuals, and we could see that all of a sudden it seems like God puts a hammer down on them. And I really think some of these situations was that they, they stopped growing. And so finally something that seems a little infraction, not a big deal. They, they get in big trouble for it. I think of Moses not going into the promised land. I don't understand that. But somewhere along the line, he didn't grow in the idea of controlling his anger and, and expressing it in a lack of trust for God. And so he doesn't get into the promised land. Why? There'd been, there's a history of it. So likewise, no matter who you are, we never outgrow the idea so there's this idea of conversion and converting. Saying yes to Christ and continually saying yes to Christ on a daily basis. One establishes your relationship with God, saying yes to him, and one keeps your relationship with God close. We read 
If we own up to our sins, God shows that he is faithful and just by forgiving us of our sins and purifying us from the pollution of all the bad things we've done. This is a continued action. This isn't that first time. That's, this is a regular thing. If we own our sins, we continue to sin. And so we confess them. We ask for a change. Those changes usually aren't instantaneously. The longer we live, some of those changes are harder. We have to like rechange our focus and our response. Not our first reaction it takes work. But again, God is saying, if, if you ask for forgiveness, you have it. Positionally, your sin won't be held against you. And I will help you grow and take those next steps. So what are some things we need to do very quickly? We need to be honest about our need for repentance. We need to be honest about it. Again, if I, you've got to get to the place where you say, there are going to be times this week where I need to repent of something. It might not be a huge thing, but a repentance is agreeing with God, calling something incorrect, calling something sin, calling something out of step with him. And so I'm honest and I know that this week I'm prepared for it. There are going to be some times where I need to be honest about what I've done, how I've done it, why I've done it, and be ready for it. I need to understand this. How happy are those who no longer lie to themselves or others. The idea is if we're not there, we're lying to ourselves and we're projecting a life that's a lie because all of us need to change and all of us need to repent of things. Own the impact of our conviction. I like the word conviction rather than guilt. Conviction to me is God-inspired, holy inspired It's not feeling guilty. I can feel guilty for things that maybe I shouldn't feel guilty about. I can have self-guilt. I can have expectations that other people put on me and feel guilty about that. There can be triggers. I've told you before that every time I go for a paper towel at my house, I feel guilty about it because my mother doesn't want me using paper towels. From a kid, use the hand cloth. Don't waste the paper towels. Why do we have paper towels? That's not a concern. Don't use paper towels. So even now at 54, I... Ooh, and if I use one to clean my glasses, I take the, because it's just wet, and kind of hang it on top so it can be used again. Isn't that crazy? Who cares about paper towels? But it's, it's in there, so make sure it's conviction. Make sure it's God-originated, not somebody else. We read, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. When you and I hold on to sin, when we hold on to not repenting, it messes with our soul and our heart. That's what's happened with Asa. That's what's happening with him. He's mean to people. He's throwing people. It's just, it's, 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 just, it's just weighing heavy on him. Understand what it does. Admit completely. Don't, uh, you know, I did this. Don't, don't look for excuses. Own it. Don't, don't, don't go, well, 
things, just, just own it, be clear about it, full disclosure to God. Maybe sometimes you need to do that to somebody else, but it first starts with God. You remember when David, King David, sinned and, and, and uh, uh, you know, took somebody else's wife and had the person killed, and you can read about that. It's crazy. This Psalm 32 kind of comes out of that situation. He first realizes he sinned against God and then the others. All our sin primarily is first against God. We read on, When I finally saw my own lies, I owned up to my sins before you, God, and I did not try to hide my evil deeds from you. First of all, that's impossible, but I tried not to do that. I didn't try to do it. I said to myself, I'll admit all my sins to the eternal. And now what's so nice when we're in this process, and it's not a process you do in 10 minutes. Sometimes it's a process that takes weeks, months, or longer. But then we hide ourselves in God. Christ gave his life. We're going to be giving out uh, take-home communion elements at both doors. There's a little card uh, if you need to... to um, have some instructions for that. And what's so nice is when we celebrate what Christ did for us, giving his life, dying, rising again, we remember that when we celebrate communion, we realize that our life is hidden in him. It's covered by him. You lifted and carried away the guilt of my sin. You are my hiding place. You will keep me out of trouble and envelop me with songs that remind me I am free. When you have made peace with God, especially on a specific issue, and he's freed you and he's forgiven you, you are free indeed. We sing about that. I know every once in a while there's some things I've done I'm not proud of, that weren't nice, weren't kind, weren't even mistakes. They were downright selfishness. And I made atonement for them. I corrected them as best I could. I've asked for forgiveness. And every once in a while, they come stirring back up. And when I realize they're stirring back up, and that's just me, that's just the accuser, I can put them away and say, I am free and rest in that. Which gives us to the next one of seizing the hope. Seize it. Live in it. I love every once in a while I see these little lawn things. I don't know what the whole goal of it is, but I see the words hope on these little lawn things. They look like for sale signs, but they have hope on it. And I'm just reminding me, there is hope. And if you've said yes to Christ, there is hope. There is forgiveness. Good people, forgiven people, not like you're perfect, but good people on the path of righteousness. Rejoice and be very happy in the Lord. All you who want to do right, rejoice. You've been changed. You've repented. You've acknowledged something that's out of God's preferred, pleased will. We call that sin. And now you're trying to live a different way. The Holy Spirit has joined his life to your life. So you have everything you need. I have everything I need to take a few steps in the right direction. And so I have hope and I have celebration. I am free from it. I don't have to feel guilty and bad any longer. That is awesome. Because I am a scoundrel inside. You may not know it, but God has freed me from all of that. 
So, our bottom line again. Repentance will get you out of what ego keeps getting you into. So in a few moments on your way home, you can have the opportunity to pick up some take-home communion elements. Also at guest services, we mentioned this last week about the idea of um, writing down our thoughts as God reveals them to us. It's just, just a regular notebook with a little sticker on it. But if you want one of those, there are some still available at guest services. Please take advantage of that. If you're at a place where you don't think you've ever said yes to Jesus, remember that it starts with saying, admitting you've been out of step with God. That's called sin. And you need to be connected to him through Christ. It involves believing that Jesus died on the cross for you, rose again, and offers forgiveness of our sins. You don't have to earn it. He did it for you. And lastly, it's choosing to invite Christ into your life as the one you're going to follow. A life of loving God, loving others. It's not a life of perfection because, again, we've already made it very clear. All of us continue on converting, changing, growing, repenting. So, repentance starts off as a woe is me, yuck, but it turns around to hope and freedom and thank you, God, that I can repent and with your help, my life can change. Would you pray with me?